Welcome to In Conversation, a podcast about politics, current affairs, and Russian towards impeachment. In this episode, we talk about the American healthcare debate and the ongoing investigation into Trump's ties to Russia. My name is Christian Paz Lang. And I'm Yasser Batalvi. And this is In Conversation. Hi, and welcome back to In Conversation. I'm Yasser Batalvi. I'm uh, Christian Paz Lang. And here we are at uh, season two of In Conversation. The real season two. The real season two. Uh, we're back after an extended hiatus, but it's <coughs> exciting to be here again. And a lot has happened since the last time we spoke. So there's definitely a lot. Oh, a lot. lot. I, think, so I, think, I think the last time we spoke was prior to the election. Right. So <laughs> we're basically living in a new world now. Yeah. So, yeah. so welcome to In Conversation 2.0 and <laughs> Politics 2.0 and really a new form of everything. Yeah. We're rewriting the books. Um, <laughs> yeah. And though a, a lot has happened uh, and we haven't been making episodes about it we have not been hibernating on uh, the various issues that have been happening and so uh i think we're, what we're probably just going to do is jump right into where we are now rather than uh rehashing the past uh, eight months yeah. or so yeah right? that might just take an entire eight months to do yeah <laughs> yeah um and that's uh that's actually probably a good way of putting it because it seems like every day there's something insane going on and there are such extended crises uh, happening throughout uh, the U.S. administration, which will be our focus today. Um, yeah. Why don't we start off maybe talking about healthcare because that's that's been the focus of the past few weeks at least. Mm-hmm. And just to sum up briefly, there have been various attempts to pass a health bill, th- health bill through the Senate. Uh, oddly enough, a, a House bill mm-hmm. um, passed what a month ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a half. I think so. And just went nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I think they tried to pass a bill in the Senate, but uh, that fell short. And then there was uh, this, by the way, was the repeal and replace. Yeah. Um, which fell through. And then we doubled down on repeal. Yeah. Uh, which fell through, I think, the morning after. Yeah. As most yeah. things do. Um, and McConnell was like, I'm going to have half a loaf of bread. Yeah. Rather. <laughs> and then they couldn't even have that. So there. Right. So there. And now uh, John McCain has brain cancer. So that's sad. And that's also a problem uh, for the Senate because yeah. uh, he's out um, for three or so weeks. Well, that was, that was interesting because they, we, we, we had heard that news, um, sad as it is, uh, over the weekend. Right. And then most people thought, okay, well, that's going to stall the health bill for a while. And then they just went forward with it anyway, thinking that really? they could at least uh, get, the, get the bill onto the floor for debate. But right. they couldn't even do that. So oh, I see. it's been it's been stalling ever ever since that. And uh, oddly enough, in terms of what Trump's role is in this whole thing, is that he's been like the, the, like a fair weather cheerleader. You know, sometimes sometimes he's into it, sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's angry, sometimes he's excited. Um, and so a couple of days ago, I think he had all the Sundays over to the White House. He's like, "Hey, time to get stuff going," mm-hmm. but a little a little too little too late, right? Yeah, I. I mean, the thing with Trump is um, I think he sees a lot of uh, political victories as personal victories. Sure. Uh, that's yeah. just part of who he is, part of his personality. And he's uh, campaigned on re- repealing, reforming, um, and, and redoing Obamacare uh, in a way that I think resonates with his supporters. Right. Because Trump voters um, don't like Obamacare, I think, sometimes for good reason, but sometimes just because it has something to do with Obama. 
Um, and yeah. and as true as that is, uh, it's a it's a situation where uh, Trump is going to try to do with it whatever he can to push Republicans to pass uh, health care reform. But he's not um, doing whatever he can, right? I mean, he's not out there selling the bill. He's not he's not out on the on the Hastings, as you would say. Right. Um, he's sort of just whining on Twitter every once in a while. But as, as far as we know, he's not. Yeah. Cajoling I mean, individual senators. He's yeah. not uh, trying to buy them out or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. He's leaving it most mostly up to McConnell. Right. I mean, that that interestingly enough um, could be for a few reasons. One could just be. Uh, ineptitude. I mean, he he might just know how to navigate that's, the political process. That's my overarching theme. For, yeah, that's my explanation for most things that happened in the Trump administration. Right. I mean, just the fact that he might not even know that uh, you know there's a process of whipping votes up. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he could try and sell you um, the bill, like uh, he could try and sell a used car. You know, he <laughs> might he might just uh, exaggerate things and try and tell you that the mileage is great and that you should really get this right now. Uh, but when it comes down to it, you know, what is he really doing to put forward real evidence to support sure, it and, sure. and, uh, and some real findings? Um, what, what really ends up happening is that uh, congressional Republicans are looking at this saying um, a couple of things. One is, I think, uh, trying to evaluate whether their own political future is at stake. Yeah. Because uh, I think there are a lot of Republicans who don't want to repeal Obamacare without having a replacement ready to go. Well, yeah, the problem being that um, the bill that they've put forward is hurting like a lot of their own constituents. Um, right. So so poor rural uh, pay, uh, people who are looking for insurance, older uh, voters as well, who are you know some of the most stalwart mm-hmm. Republicans out there. And so you have people, even um, uh, you know Rand Paul, who's opposing it, maybe right. on ideological grounds, but Lisa Murkowski from Alaska as mm-hmm. well. Uh, they they're just not getting the votes, and part of that I think is is you're right. There's uh, there's their own supporters who would otherwise be like, yeah, let's get rid of Obamacare as soon as we can, are looking at Obamacare now and saying, oh, this is you know this is actually working for me, yeah. right? And so they're stuck in this in this conundrum where you can't get rid of it, right? But you've also promised to get rid of it. So if you don't get rid of it, then you've broken a promise. But if you do get rid of it, you're hurting your your own yeah. constituents. So so often I think what happens in um, American politics is. Uh, there'll be absolute opposition to a certain uh, plan, a certain program. Um, and once the program actually comes about, yeah. uh, Americans just tie themselves to it in yeah. the sense that now it becomes impossible to change because yeah. no, ma- no matter which side you fall on the political spectrum, um, talk about Social Security yeah. or Medicare or Medicaid. I mean, at a time, these were all fought against yeah. Yeah. vehemently. Well, and, 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 and now they're so part of uh, the equation that yeah. even someone like Rand Paul will say, well, of course, we got to have Medicare. Of course, we got to have Medicare. Right. And that's that's I mean, that's so true, because what the Senate bill would do isn't like slash back Me- Medicaid's current budget. Right. It would restrict its growth. Right. And so Democrats are obviously framing that as a cut to Medicare. Right. Uh, and, and in some ways it is. But you can't even you can't, you can't even talk about cutting the growth of Medicaid, right? Um, because it's so tied in. And and the funny thing being that uh, Trump knows that, knows about this dynamic. He's not right. you know as stupid as that. He knows that when, once you have an entitlement, uh, right. it's hard to claw it back. He said so in his um, ridiculously amazing interview with the New York Times recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said that once you have an entitlement, and in this case, he was talking about pre-existing conditions, mm-hmm. uh, which Obamacare covers uh, without discrimination, um, and the Senate bill. It's sort of unclear whether or not the eventual bill will or will not, right. um, and that's a part of the big struggle with the various conservative and moderate senators. Mm-hmm. Um, once you have that, it's so difficult to take it away. You're right. Yeah. Right. 
Um, now, I mean, to tackle that problem, the pre-existing one, mm-hmm. um, or the pre-existing conditions problem, <laughs> um, the problem is pretty pre-existing. But, exactly. Uh, exactly. The, the issue is, um, uh, I mean, I think it can be framed like this, uh, because this is, I think, how, how Democrats will put it. They'll say uh, the problem is um, insurance companies will discriminate against um, customers, consumers, yep. uh, because sometimes... Uh, folks will have some sort of pre-existing condition. Let's say it's heart disease or diabetes yeah, or yeah. or they smoke or something. Um, and what ends up happening when you get insurance uh, as a person with a pre-existing condition is that uh, you're more likely to end up using the health insurance that you're buying. Sure. Um, and part of the reason why um, Obama, when he was in office, was trying to uh, convince People, young people especially, to buy insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, he showed up on Between Two Ferns, yes. um, and he would do all these uh, these fun little TV Healthcare.gov. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He would just plug healthcare.gov everywhere because because part of what's happening is um, there are not a lot of young people buying yeah. health insurance. Yeah. Because for young people, um, the the well, in essence, what's what would have to happen is there would have to be enough young people who buy health insurance but who don't actually end up using it. Yeah. So that the money goes into the, a big pot, and that's yep. how health insurance companies yep. or any insurance company really uh, would would get a payout, mm-hmm. which is that uh, more people pay into it than pay out of it. Mm-hmm. And the and the reason why this is important now, right. um, not just for the um, the politicking that's going on in the Republican Party, is that if they do just leave, just walk away from healthcare, right. which is questionable if they're even able to do that because healthcare sort of ties in <laughs> to the rest of their legislative agenda, notably tax reform, because they need the money from healthcare. To go towards right. tax reform, but the reason why that's why it's still important now is because if they don't do anything, if they walk away, then Donald Trump is like, let's just let Obamacare fail, right? And then the Repu- right. and then the Democrats will own it. And the way that Obamacare will fail is that the government will stop advertising the exchanges to young people, right? And they'll stop enforcing the individual mandate, so they'll stop punishing people when they don't get insurance, right? And that way, they hope at least that the exchanges will collapse. People will be like, "Oh, that darn Obama!" Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the a year ago, yeah. <laughs> he he was in office, uh-huh. and that's. I mean, that's actually an interesting question. Do you think? Do you think the Republicans are able to get away with that? Do you think that if the, if yeah. Obama does collapse, if the exchanges do collapse, then people will say, "Oh, yeah, this was Obama a year ago or right. two years ago, and right. not." Donald Trump, who's in office now, right? I think I think people have long memories, and I think what happens with some, something like Obamacare, which carries his name, uh, even unofficially called mm-hmm. Obamacare, mm-hmm. is even if it were to fail during the Trump administration, people will remember that it is Obamacare that's failing. Mm-hmm. Think of it this way: the economy uh, continued to do well after uh, Trump got into office. Yeah, you know, unemployment numbers were still down, and um, uh, markets were still up. Yeah, uh, and people remembered, and people are, I think, smart enough to understand. Look, Trump just got into office. Oh, sometimes that's a, that's a dangerous. Sometimes the thing carryover, say, yeah, the carryover continues because because Donald Trump himself is is saying, you know, like like I've seen right. so many Fox News infographics, you know, retweeted by the president, retweeted by the, the by white the White House, right. That says, you know. Obama's first six six weeks in office or something, and, right? And it's got the numbers. It's like unemployment up two percent or something, uh-huh. like the market down ten percent. Uh-huh. 
you know, in the midst of the financial crisis, right? Compared to Trump. Trump, And it's like, and so he's taking credit, you know, just just in the the wrong way that you've described. I mean, I I see what you're saying. And I think the funny thing is sometimes I give more credit to Trump supporters than Trump himself, because I think he may try or attempt to take credit for it. But um, anybody having a legitimate conversation will have to recognize that that things like the economy and things like programs like Obamacare, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're fluid. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's even debate about how much role the, the president even plays oh, in exactly. setting, setting exactly. economic policy or you know how much impact it actually has on the economy yeah precisely and so so uh, regardless of of the reality of the situation i think that if um the individual mandate was something that that went unenforced and the pre-existing condition bit of obamacare was still in existence sure um the exchanges would definitely uh, collapse i mean what would end up happening is uh you would have a situation where uh, if you don't compel people to buy insurance mm-hmm. uh, under a system where you compel an insurance company to provide insurance yeah. for pre-existing conditions, uh, you essentially incentivize people to buy insurance after they already get sick. Because for a young person uh, who, let's whoa, say, whoa. gets gets something like uh, diabetes, they can just walk into you know United Healthcare or they can walk into Blue Cross Blue Shield or something and say, "Hey, I want I want healthcare." And a health insurance company can usually charge really high premiums for something yeah. like that because you can't walk into a health insurance company while your house is still on fire or, or like an insurance company while your house is still on fire saying, you know, my house is on fire, sell me insurance. Yeah. You know, no, no insurance company would do that. Yeah. But if you, if you say to, to a fire insurance company, you can't discriminate whether your house is on fire or not, right. you know, the system collapses. So, because you don't incentivize people to buy insurance before their house is on fire. Right, and that's why you need to force people to buy right. insurance already. So, so exactly. So if I think the way I see it is if you're going to compel insurance companies to disregard pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. in the calculus of how much they charge for their premiums, mm-hmm. um, then you have to compel people to buy insurance. So as always, yeah, so the answer here is more coercion by the government government and not less absolutely not i mean the the way i see it i I think we should really leave it up to people um that's that's just what i heard you say that's i'm just uh, paraphrasing what you said not really i I was really just parsing out the argument but uh i know i know i know know. i'm I'm just making a joke yes i think look i mean the the obamacare thing is fascinating because i think the way for it to work for it to work properly you would need um all all of these different uh legs of the stool to to be in place mm-hmm. to hold the system up, and mm-hmm. if you start moving one of them around, I mean, it, it's really an ingenious design because if you start pulling some of them apart, the system doesn't really work. Right. For example, if you take away the individual mandate, which is the the tax, I guess, mm-hmm. which is the way the courts have defined it, it's a tax apparently. Um, which, by the way, is this is the is the fine? This, yeah. It's a it's yeah. a six hundred dollar fine. Just another theft. Well, I mean, look, it's, it should be to be totally realistic. It's a fine in the sense that you're being fined for not uh, using government services, right? The government's basically compelling you to buy something from them. No, um, I mean, you're not necessarily buying it from the government. You're buying it from an insurance company. Right, right. You, you could be buying it from an insurance company. In, an insurance in company that may be subsidized by the government. Maybe. Right. I mean, I think we know in like some like 26 states, they use the healthcare.gov system, yeah. the federal yeah. website. Remember the one that was facing trouble in the beginning yeah it's um, fine now though oh it's great now yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love it yeah. leave it to the government to make web- i've got make a bookmarked <laughs> <laughs> i think um you have the you have the ability to buy um, insurance from an insurance company if you want but the only issue is the government's compelling you to do it and they're going to charge you if you don't they'll fine you if yeah. you don't buy the yeah. insurance yeah so they're forcing you to, to buy something a product yeah. Just for, so just this, for is, this is this is this is you know, the this worst is, thing in the world the, for a Republican. 
right? Yeah. And yet they still can't get their act together to get rid of it um, because of what you were saying before, which is if you take one part away, you have to take them all away. And so for someone like Rand Paul, who's been a no on all of these things, right. he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. You've got to take it all away. Exactly. Right? But then we run into the problem that we were talking about before is that if you right. take it all away, you have to take pre-existing conditions away. Yeah. And, then, and then they have this employer mandate, which is the one that says that uh, if you're running a business, you have to provide right. health insurance yeah. if you have a certain number yeah. of employees. Yeah. Or the idea that if you're over um, uh, 18 but under 26, you can tag on to your, to your yeah. parents' health insurance. Yeah. I mean, there are negatives and positives of everything. And I think something like this is the government manipulating the market because what ends up happening is when the government reaches its hand in and says to an employer that mm-hmm. you have to provide health insurance, mm-hmm. um, your employer's overhead costs are now higher than they would otherwise be because an yep. employer can make a decision in the free market to not provide health insurance yeah. and then leave it up to potential employees to make up their minds about which company right. they want to work for. Right. Um, but now, not only that, now your kids are tagged on. Yeah. So in essence, a company that has employees that have a lot of kids uh, who are under the age of 26 are going to be are going to be facing a huge brunt um, versus a company that is employing people with no kids, for example. Which, yeah. Do you think that the Republicans should have seen this coming then? I mean, we, we've, we've, we're talking about these problems, and these are the same problems, the same debates that we had in 2010 when Obamacare was being you know, pushed through slowly uh, through the legislative agenda. I mean, it seems like the Republicans have been doing, have been criticizing Obamacare for seven years. They've been vote after vote to symbolically repeal it, right? Because they never had the votes. But right, they've ended up on the floor a yet, lot of times. And yet here we are. And they have nothing better than Obamacare. Right. I, I think that um, this is a unique problem that uh, exists within the minds of Republicans, which is that they're, they're guided by this principle sometimes that can be ineffective to coming up with pragmatic solutions to things, which is this idea that when Republicans operate on the principle that um, the government shouldn't play a hand in anything, sure. in any... any um, a government manipulation of a market is something that uh, is is just so obscene mm-hmm. that it, you shouldn't really touch it at all. There's there's some sort of you fall through the crack. There's some sort of point where you reach past um, the idea that your ideology is also practical, right? Right. So, like you know, a Republican would say, not only is it right that a government should not um, yeah. put it put its hand in the market, but it's also the best thing to be done. Right. Is that the problem that we're having here? That in this case, what is right from the perspective of a Republican may not actually be of the greatest practical good? Exactly. I think if you left it up to an individual Republican, Obamacare would be repealed the next day. Yeah. I just see the, the problem being when Republicans sit together and agree, okay, to repeal it, we need a replacement. Now you've got to agree on the replacement. And obviously Republicans can't agree on a replacement because you have Republican factions like the Tea Party and Rand Paul type characters and Ted Cruz who are saying things like, we don't want the government playing a hand in healthcare at all. Mm-hmm. And then you have some people saying, hey, there might be a place for government in healthcare. And then you have some people saying, hey, there's really nothing all that bad about Obamacare. We just need to tweak some things about it. But are those, are those debates about principle? Like you just think it's okay if the government um, interferes a little bit? Or is it a debate about what the actual effect of that interference will be. So Rand Paul says uh, there shouldn't be any right. government involvement. He also probably thinks that that's probably the best thing. That's how the system is going to work the best. I think he, he may think it's the but best then, thing. But then you have Susan Collins who right. says maybe 
the government should have a role and is that because she thinks that's right mm -hmm. or does she, is it because she thinks that's what's going to work best I think that um, it's it's pretty clear what the evidence shows. I mean, it just depends on where your ideology is. The evidence shows that um, if you were to uh, compel people to purchase health insurance, mm -hmm. more people would purchase it. I mean, that that's uh, that's pretty clear. And so once you reach the point where you know how the CBO puts out numbers that yeah. say you know by twenty twenty six or by twenty thirty there would be these many million more uninsured yeah, or people. low 20s 22 24 right, right. on the various republican bills right and, you know i actually have i actually have an issue with um with the reports like that news reports like that sure least. because the way they frame what's the cbo what the congressional budget office says is that they frame it such that there will be people who lose insurance but that's right but that's but it's sort of like the case. medicaid cuts it's like a projection into right. people who would have insurance but otherwise wouldn't exactly otherwise because because if you re if you read them close enough even the news reports sometimes are, are uh, the news organizations are principled enough not to lie outright because they won't say that you they won't say that there are people losing insurance they'll say that these are people who will be left uninsured yes so yeah. what they're saying is by the growth of the population and people moving into the ranks of how many people should have health insurance mm -hmm. there might just be 32 million more people who don't have insurance mm -hmm. versus people who have insurance today who yeah. would lose it yeah. under Obamacare I think, it's, I think it's an important distinction who knows well I don't know if it is because it's still right. people uninsured it's it's just not somebody who's uh, who's deciding to, or who's having to be forced to make the decision. Um, hey, my premiums are too expensive, so now I'm having to give up healthcare. Rather than someone just making the personal choice, hey, I, you know, I don't want to pay a premium, so I don't want to buy healthcare. Sure. And, and, and if they're not getting fined for it, I, sure. you know, that should be up to them. Sure. The way I see it, at least. Sure. But but to to get back to the um, the failure of it. Yeah. Um, the reason Republicans would would choose not to support it is. I think it's pretty clear if you compel people to buy health insurance, they'll buy it. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the rates of the insured go, go up significantly. Um, so when you recognize that, you reach a place where you have to ask yourself, when people are supporting it or not supporting it, it usually depends, I think, on how much margin um, their ideologies have for government right. involvement in market. How important is the ideology versus... Right. Because, because everybody knows at this point that... that, this, that to solve the, the problem of having people who are uninsured is you could just compel them to buy insurance. Right. You could but just that's, basically charge That's impossible them for most Republicans. Right. You could just reach into their pocket and charge the premium and, ha and give them no choice right. with it whatsoever. And then you could just rid people of... of you could rid the, the uninsured number sure. and just get rid of it entirely. Sure. Um, but then that's single payer, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's what it boils down to. A type of it, at least. Right. Well, that's, that's actually interesting because something that's come up as the health care debate rages... Is what's the what's the democratic response? You know, during the primary, you know, Bernie and, and Hillary were fairly united on we're going to keep Obamacare, we're going to make it better, that kind of thing. Even though Bernie obviously would prefer a single payer system, as I'm sure actually Hillary would as well, but she's you know pragmatic enough not to be able to say right. that, right? Yeah. Um, but now you know now what happens if they do pass something, or even if they don't pass something and Obamacare fails? Like are the Democrats able to in 2020? to put single-payer on the table. I think it would be a mistake if they did that. I, re I really think that um, there are two sides to the argument. There's some people who are saying Democrats have to move further to the left yeah. to win elections. Um, if you believe in that argument, then I think it's probably fair. Then it's probably yeah. fair game to suggest, hey, if they put single-payer on the table, um, but what somehow if it's, what Democrats if it's are going to start winning elections. What if it's not like necessarily single-payer? What if it's, you know, 
if we're buying into some sort of incrementalism, what if it's just like a public option? Mm-hmm. Now, along with the insurance markets, there's also a plan that's provided by the government. Right. So, so in essence, I haven't heard much about the public option. So, the, it- so like the public option was one of the things that was included or was was going to be uh, was being attempted to be put into Obamacare, but then it failed because uh, Democrats couldn't agree on it. But maybe in 2020 we've gotten to that point. Right. So that there's a a public healthcare provider. Yeah. Um, or like a public health insurance that can provider. compete with the insurance private insurance companies. So it's a public health insurance provider. It, it I think I think provider. the various I think there's various formulations of the public option itself, okay. but in in essence, it's the government uh, allowing its own plan into the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We we saw something like this with um, what's happening at the VA and their healthcare. Um, if you follow the the VA healthcare scandal. Um, what was essentially happening was that there were veterans who, so so if you're um, a veteran of the armed forces, you get your health care basically for free yeah. um, from Veterans Affairs, and they manage uh, and run many hospitals uh, and healthcare facilities across America, and they're all run in essence by the single payer system, yeah. which is that you're all you've all bought into it and it's run by the government. And the issue was, um, which actually led to the resignation of the top dog at the VA, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially that there was incredibly egregiously long wait times right uh, there was a, f- a failure in the quality of service now um, is that <clears throat> is that a problem with implementation though or a problem with you know the theory the i don't principle? i don't think it's a problem specifically with the government right. running something i mean I'll, because I'll give we because we know that governments can run healthcare well we do, we do know that they can in toronto ontario <laughs> we, we do know that there is there is the potential that they can yeah. but what we're talking about is are Democrats going to win an election based sure. on yeah. based on you're right. you know making the making the case? You're right. And if they and if make the, the VA case, is fresh in people's minds, the VA is too close um, to grab because yeah. Republicans on a debate stage can just reach not too far off the stage and just yeah. pull the VA out of the air. And they already and so, have credibility with right. that. They so. say, don't don't you remember what happened when the government ran healthcare? Sure. sure. Um, and Republicans, trust me, sure. they remember. They remember the VA scandal. Sure. So. I think the public option is interesting. Yeah, I, w- I would want to know more about it and see if it's um, if it's a health insurance plan and uh, or a health insurance provider. Because yeah. if it is, what ends up happening is um, there's a lot of debate about how much it's subsidized. Right. You know how much how it's run. Right. Um, because because the way it works currently is uh, if you're at a hospital, the hospital will bill your insurance company, and the insurance company negotiates on behalf of you as the consumer and on yeah. behalf of themselves. Yeah. But if it's a if it's a government health insurance plan, yeah. you know, if you put the government as a component within the market, yeah. then what ends up then what ends up happening is the government's uh, really got to be on their toes. They've basically got to be running like a business, yeah, because they've got to be competitive and cutthroat, just like any other insurance company. Sure. Um, sure. And if they're being subsidized, a hospital might just look at that and say, you know, after all, uh, how bad do we feel? Mm-hmm. You know, over mm-hmm. overbilling. I mean, they're already doing that. Yeah. Um, but if, if this is just the case, I'm not sure how that would play out. One last thing that I think is worth thinking about here um, is just, you know, the macro principle level. Like, what, do you see any movement in the, the great debate of American healthcare, which is, is it a right or is it a commodity like any others? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, do you see the Republican um, bill and the Democratic response to it as revealing anything about that? Like, are we still yeah. unsure? I think um, the way I think the issue of, of healthcare is framed too often um, incorrectly is as if 
you're left dead on the street without health insurance if you're in America. And uh, at the end of the day, it boils down to the fact that if you're too old to afford health care, you get it for free. And if you're too, too poor to afford health care, you get it for free. Mm-hmm. And if you're too sick to afford health care, you, you still get it for free. And the idea is if you're too old, you still have, you have Medicare. Well, um, you don't get it for free if you're too sick. If you're too sick, you go to an emergency room and they have to treat you for free. Um, I mean, nobody gets turned. I mean, this is the idea of, yeah. of imagery. Yeah. You know, nobody's yeah. being turned away. You might go um, bankrupt. From, from an emergency room. Right. But if you do go bankrupt, that's your fault because you could have bought health insurance. And if you couldn't and you're too poor to buy health insurance, then you should be covered well, by Medicaid. We're not talking about yeah, the problem being you're covered by Medicaid and then there's that gap between you're not poor enough to be covered by Medicaid, right. but also you can't really afford to buy insurance. See, that argument, that uh, it doesn't sway me because if you're too poor to fall under Medicaid, then you're definitely wealthy enough to afford insurance because that should be the first thing on your priority list. I mean, not a, not a new something. <laughs> sure, together, sure. You know? Now, I don't want to... I don't wanna, uh, paint the argument too unempathetically because I think <laughs> that's what I'm hearing <laughs> I think that but, but it's a simple concept I mean you, you're, you'll be able to get the healthcare if you really can't afford it because if you really are on Medicaid um, you're, you're provided healthcare and um, I mean heck you even have you know what they used to call food stamps mm-hmm. now they call SNAP which is a supplemental yeah. nutritional yeah. assistance program I mean yeah. nobody's, nobody's dying on the street going you know because they're too hungry or because they're too sick yeah. It just happens that sometimes people make bad decisions when you leave it up to them. And sometimes I, people don't buy health. So, so I think I've answered the question that I, or we've answered the question that I did ask you because we've been talking about this totally framed as if it were a commodity that you need to buy, you need to choose right. whether or not you can or cannot, right. and the government may step in right. if you don't. But uh, so, so that's that's answered my answered my question. In the states, healthcare is still a commodity and not a right. Yeah, I mean, in, in even a, though some do see it as a right, so Bernie Sanders obviously would see it as a right. I think I think it's it's sort of the way the internet is a, is a right. You know how there were these talks about how the UN sure. said, uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's the idea that access to the internet is a right. It's not not you know you're not violating somebody's human rights if you're uh, you know on an island off the beach and you just don't uh-huh. have internet. Uh-huh. The idea is if you're if you're willing to pay enough for it nobody should be able to stop you from having it right. so in that sense yeah healthcare is a right because nobody should be excluded from being able to buy healthcare just because of some arbitrary reason you know right. um, but if you have enough money to pay for healthcare then you deserve to have it the and old, if you don't then then someone should buy it for the you the old that, equality the of opportunity versus equality of outcome debate right right so the way yeah the way um, the way i hope people will see it is um, essentially that there's also another perspective, and this is, let's say, if you feel like you're healthy enough um, and wealthy enough, yeah. that you should not be compelled to purchase insurance. So, for example, I talked to uh, friends of mine, kids you know, our age, mm-hmm. uh, people between the ages of 20 and 26, who, and these are what the numbers show, are not likely to visit a hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're likely. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah. So, now, I think insurance is a calculator. Insurance is... Um, it's a risk assessment, right? And if you're a 22 year old and you're you're banking away, you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year, and you're and you're just happen to be wealthy, I I, sh- I don't think the government should compel you to buy health insurance because your odds are you're not going to be ending up at the hospital anytime soon. You can save the money that you would spend, and if in the eventuality you end up in the hospital and you have to pay mm-hmm. really high bills, well, that's your fault. Mm-hmm. And I just I just see it as uh, you being able to make that decision on your own. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. <clears throat> I don't think the government should compel you uh, 
to have to buy healthcare insurance, uh, they should just give it to you. <laughs> All right. Why don't we? Uh, yeah. Why don't we uh, move on to the other thing that has been plaguing the Trump administration, which is its continued connections, uh, in interference from dealings with Russians or people connected to Russia, various murky surroundings. Right. Oh. Uh, the, it's a gift that keeps on giving if you're if you're part of the New York Times or the Washington Post, who every week seem to pull out some new meeting that Jared Kushner has had with... They a, shed light on it, because according to the Washington Post, democracy, democracy dies, dies, in, dies in darkness. <laughs> great, great slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, what, I mean, so since we last talked, obviously, the Russia thing has gone from being a strange you know quirk of the campaign right uh to what democrats hope to be a, a deus ex machina where you know <laughs> robert Mueller will yeah. will ride in and and clap handcuffs on trump and, and lead him away right um and obviously that's probably not going to happen but it continues to plague his campaign and uh so just recently uh in this new york times interview that i referenced earlier Donald Trump was going after Jeff Sessions for recusing himself from the Russia investigation. He said it, that's what led to Robert Mueller. And he also said uh, Robert Mueller shouldn't be investigating his personal finances or his, his family's finances. Right. Uh, and there's reports that that's exactly what Mueller is doing. And so, I mean, what's your take? Do, do you see anything here? Like, what's it going to what's going to happen? You know? Yeah. In, in a way, the, I mean, st stuff... It's such a terrible optics situation. Oh, just for sure. on, you know, on a, on the superficial analysis, it's just how how <laughs> do they continue to mismanage it? Like how do we how how did they think they could get away with not um, disclosing this meeting that Don Junior was at with Jared Kushner right. and Paul Manafort when the email said, you know, this is part of the effort of the Russian government to support Donald Trump. Right. And, you know. Or or what about uh, the two hour long uh, or the extra hour long meeting after the two that Trump exactly. had with Vladimir Putin exactly. at the G twenty? I mean, was well, really I mean, nobody going to find out about this? It's 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 what it's, were you waiting? For? It's horrifying to me as someone who 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 considers themselves to be slightly politically astute, like you know, someone who knows just a little just, bit about how you might upright, you, you might want to do politics. Right. It just seems like a very stupid thing to do. Oh, it does, and. This is this is kind of the absurdity of it, which is it's stuff that's going on is so bizarre that you think that they would that someone would be able to get ahead of the scandal yeah. and say, yeah, let's let's do what um, now. Who was it who released uh, his emails? Don Jr. Yeah, um, who ended up just publishing yeah. ahead of. I have no idea why he did that though. I, I assume I assume it was because news store uh, news organizations were looking into. Um, I think the New York Times actually had them, but oh, they had the emails. But yeah, 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 and so maybe he just still to come to out ahead of it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd be like I'd be talking to my lawyer. You yeah, know, a, lot be, of, a lot of bad political decisions being made. Yeah, um, but the way I see it is, uh, it is at the same time uh, incredibly simple, but yet incredibly complex. Okay, and it's the issue that um, simply uh, whatever Donald Trump would have done doesn't really matter because the way the process of impeachment would work is that uh, it, it's a political process. Yes. I mean, the president can't commit a crime essentially, yes. uh, in the sense that. Not in the traditional way. A prosecutor can't go up to the president and slap handcuffs on him because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he broke the law because the president would just fire the prosecutor. As the as this the, has happened before, right? As the CEO of the Department of Justice, he can just do that, and uh, that's why impeachment, which is designed as a political process, doesn't even come into play 
uh, unless, of course, two things, one or two things happen or both. Um, one is obviously that Bob Mueller ends up finding something that's particularly egregious. So bad that Republicans find their backbone. Right. Or um, it just happens that in 2018, there are enough Democrats to get mm-hmm. him impeached on something he's mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. So that's just the simplistic way of looking at it. That's, that's what I have to tell myself sometimes when I can't read the, the 101st article about this, where I just say <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter at this point, the nitty gritties of the, of the fifth meeting that he had with Vladimir yeah. Putin. Yeah. But then, on the other hand, it becomes really complex because there's this deep and dark web of uh, finances and connections that have been made all the way through with um, Trump's uh, campaign team and people in Russia and ambassadors. Um, And and that just seems – it just seems odd and sketchy and it makes me ask what's going on and why. Um, And I don't know if I know yet, but I think it's something big. That's that's going to be my analysis because I don't think that the, the so you think the there's actually fall. something there because because that, I'm so tempted to not think that there's something there uh-huh. right that you know it's not it just doesn't seem feasible that someone would be that stupid to to take Russian money during the campaign or to or to you know co- cooperate with the KGB or right. to buy Russian bots or something like that all this stuff it seems unlikely to me that there was this collusion that was right. happening maybe. Uh, maybe Flynn was in on something. Maybe Manafort was in on something. But I doubt Trump knew about it. You know all this stuff. But even if that, even if none of that existed, right, right, it would still, it still looks so bad for them. Mm-hmm. And they continue to make misstep after misstep. And we get to the point, you know, the the classic phrase: the cover up is worse than the crime, mm-hmm. right? Because they keep, you know, reliably mismanaging this, mm-hmm. um, and that makes people wonder what exactly is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sort of a similar thought to that, which is there's a, a few people out there who are saying, well, who even cares if there was collusion or not, right? right. Who even cares why, if Trump did uh, all the things that Democrats in their wildest dreams would wish he did? Um, the isn't it st- The P-tape, <laughs> please. Uh, isn't it still... Strange, isn't it still awkward? Isn't it still um, worthy of note that Donald Trump is so friendly towards Russia that right. he can't say something bad about about Putin? Right. Even if the collusion never happened, even if the Russians hadn't hacked uh, Podesta's emails, mm-hmm. uh, even if they hadn't, you know, sent them all out through WikiLeaks, right. wouldn't it still be worth worthy of note that that Russia continues to play such an outsized role uh, in how Donald Trump thinks about the world? Yeah, I mean it absolutely does, and uh, that's why that's why this issue, I think, like so many of the Trump campaign, ends up uh, perhaps uh, being explained best by just incompetence mm-hmm. um, in terms of this a, isn't the yeah, cover up. There's no 4D chess here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, I I'm not really sure, but let's say there wasn't. Let's say what actually ends up happening is that there was just some opposition research that uh, the Trump campaign really needed and they had this yeah. meeting and it was kind of benign uh, and banal and nothing particularly exciting. But even in that case, I think this this comes down to what's so unique about Donald Trump as a as a president now or as a candidate then, which was that... You said that through um, gritted teeth. <laughs> I did. Unbelievable. I didn't imagine I had to be saying that at some point. Yeah, but yeah. here we have... Here, look at Actually, this. yeah, here the last are. time we spoke, we didn't have to say that. Yeah, it's true. Well, you heard it first here. Um, if you went away, Donald Trump is president. <laughs> uh, this, this idea that uh, Trump is outside of the Washington—he's a, he's a Washington Beltway outsider. Yeah. 
Um, he's a, he's a businessman. He's come to drain the swamp. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tell me about that. Um, what happens when you're a businessman is um, businesses usually businesses often I think will act first and pay the fine later. Sure. At least Trump's businesses. Um, if you think of Trump University, oh yeah, uh, you know they don't they don't necessarily care much about the letter of the law. What they care about is hey, if we throw money towards it and it and it works out, then well and good. And if the SEC comes, uh, you know, shows up right behind you, or if it's something or the other, then you pay a fine and you move on. Yeah, um, and that's how sometimes businesses in this in this world of capital operate. And if Trump is operating the same way and isn't particularly interested in following the letter of the law. I think politics um, in Washington is going to teach him a lesson because you unfortunately have to do that. You have to do things like um, make sure that even the optics of a meeting don't seem mm-hmm. untoward. Uh, because at the end of the day, there's a reason why uh, we were talking earlier about this emoluments clause, um, which is where is the money coming from? When Trump or a Trump perspective is put into uh, to the argument, he'd say, well, you know, it's just finances. It's just my own uh, tax forms. There's no particular reason why anybody needs to have a look at them. And in the business world, that is true. There is yeah. no particular reason you yeah. would need to have a look at something like that. But if you're running the president, right. you might owe an obligation to the people yeah. who would be voting for you for them to know what exactly it is they're getting into in exactly. terms of your own personal and, finances. And, and so when, when Bob Mueller is looking into this, um, his argument is going to be, well, why is Bob Mueller looking into it? There's nothing to see here. I mean, yeah. he shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Not realizing the fact that he's he's in a too deep, which is, which is kind of what... Um, I think this Don Jr. guy uh, said when he was asked about his dad's presidency, he said, um, I kind of wish it was over. Um, Did he say that? Yeah. He said he's, he said he's uh, as, as fun as it is, as exciting as it is, he's counting down the days because uh, it just seems like he says everyone is against Trump. Trump is ca- counting down the days. Uh, the sun. Oh, the sun. Oh, the sun's counting, counting down, down the days yeah. because it's, it just seems like he says. I think Trump is probably counting, counting down the days too. Trump I think that Trump is probably having a really terrible time. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but apparently Pence has been taking meetings uh, with like major donors and stuff like that. Right. And I, I'm just, it, it makes me think that, you know, as likely as impeachment would be uh, if Mueller does find something or if the Republicans or if the Democrats do take command of Congress again, mm-hmm. I'm starting to think that, man, what if Donald Trump resigns? <laughs> Yeah. Well, the thing is, here's my opinion. Um, heard first here. Uh, Mueller will find something because that's... He'll find something. Right. He I don't will. know if it'll be, you know, something. Right. And, and the reason I say it is because part of what you have to do when you're in um, a position that Bob Mueller's in is you have to justify your existence. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he exists as a special prosecutor is that there are not often a lot of special prosecutors who come away not laying charges. Sure. And the reason they do that is because a lot of times uh, they're put in a position where they they have to have something to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, well, look, I've already been appointed. I'm putting together this this fantastic grade A legal team. Uh, you know, the best minds the in America. A-team. The, the A-team. Yeah, the literal A-team. And, and here they are investigating the president. They, they will find something. Yeah. Um, it may take it may take years, but they're gonna yeah. they're gonna come away. They're not gonna close an investigation saying, "Hey guys, we've looked at everything, and there's really nothing to see here." You know, pack our bags and let's go home. Uh, I think instead, what may happen, and this is really a, a recent and, and bizarre development, which is that uh, President Trump is now attempting to discredit Bob Mueller's credibility yep. himself. Yep. I mean, that's that's really they're looking for conflict of interest. They're looking for right. past political donations. 
they're trying to take anyone they can off that team yeah and and doesn't that make you think what's the end to this i mean if if the president were to fire the special prosecutor which he can mm-hmm. It's been, done, fire, it's been done before, of right. course, in, in the great analogy to this presidency, the Nixon tr- presidency. Right. You can fire the special prosecutor looking in, um, but that's probably even worse than firing the head of the FBI. Yeah. I mean, so, one would think. Yeah. I think one would hope, too. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great question, though, because we, we look at this Russia thing and we're like, oh, my God, the optics are so bad. It just keeps going. It keeps... They can't get ahead of it. Right. But... We, we don't actually know how deeply this is penetrating mm-hmm. because he's sitting at 39, 40%, something like that. And so as far as we can tell, uh, the Russia scandal or the healthcare debacle has not penetrated into his base yet. He's still got that 35%, maybe that 40% who's, who's going along with him. Now, maybe it's because they never see it because Fox News never reports on it. Right. Maybe they just don't care as much. Maybe they think it's a whole lot of quote-unquote nothing burger which mm-hmm. if i if i hear that once more i'll probably <laughs> yeah i think that i think what uh, that 35 or 37 percent as i heard that 37 percent of support that support that were there, were there people supporting trump not really for for what he does or what he says but really for how they feel about supporting him mm-hmm. which is that there's a certain amount of um uh, there, there's a certain amount of psychology um or, sh- or should I put it, there's something that Trump fulfills within them when they support someone like Trump, uh, which is that it comes down to what Trump was saying during the campaign. He said he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and he sure. wouldn't lose those supporters. Sure. Those, are, those are the supporters that don't really care as much about Trump as much as they care about telling somebody, hey, I'm supporting Donald Trump and he's, uh, he's someone who's going to drain the swamp and make America great. Uh, and their support is coming from a, from a deep well of something which is probably not politics, about which I dare not speculate. But however, however Trump is making them feel um, is working for them because the, that opinion that they have isn't going to disappear whether or not he uh, is found to be colluding with Russia. Well, how, he is how, far does, how far does it go then? Because you know, is, are the Trump, are Trump, those supporters going to support him no matter what? If, yeah. he, if he gets arrested tomorrow, yeah, my opinion is that support? they would. Well, that's that's freaking scary. Because what what scenario, what scenario then leads to a better America? If Trump if Trump gets impeached, these people will be in the streets. They'll think it's a great a media conspiracy. It's the establishment fighting back uh-huh. against uh, you know a maverick who is trying to drive the swamp. Right. Uh, if the Republicans take him out, right. if they force him to resign or something like that, they'll say the same thing. They'll say the Republican Party has betrayed uh, the values that Trump stood for. So are, are we just are we just have these people lost? Are they lost to? Um, yeah. To any sense of reconciliation, I just the way I see it is that we're. Um, it's funny. I I'm forgetting who coined the term. I think it was one of these late night hosts uh, who said that we're now in this uh, post truth yeah. era. Yeah. And once you're in this post truth era, where all Donald Trump has to say, even if he's literally behind bars, is the evidence was fake. You know, it's fake news. Yeah. If he just ha- if he just says that he regains his 35% of support because they're going to agree and they're going to say, well, it was fake news. So no matter how bad it is, if he literally were to shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue, like literally, it could actually be him as easy as him just saying, hey, it was fake news. You you literally didn't see what just happened. And they'd believe him. I think that that 35% consensus occurs when you're in this post-truth atmosphere where you don't believe the news media, where it's different from how it used to be, where you trust somebody. Mm -hmm. Because there's that... There's a lack of trust right now, which is that nobody's trusting uh, any news, news organization. 
um, if you're on the Trump side, yeah. uh, except for maybe a handful, maybe. and they're not, and then they're never going to report it. Not even Fox. I mean, I so, I also give Fox some credit. Uh, it, it's it's stuff like uh, either Breitbart or Drudge Report or um, some some of these even further right wing. Um, news organizations, blog bloggers, how about that? That will come to his defense and those people will continue to believe in him. But why did those people believe in him? Because, I mean, I can see that there's obviously an ideolo- ideological attraction, but these people are so practical on some level, right? Even they might, might eventually find that you can't withstand um, the constant assault Right. If Trump if Trump goes down, if he looks like he's going down, there will be people who will jump ship. There, right? there are hopefully going to be some people, um, which is why I think that thirty nine number could go down to thirty seven. Sure. But but the way I see it, there are going to be some people who are going to support Trump regardless. I that think there's going to be some people. I don't think it's going to be thirty seven percent of people. I don't think I yeah. don't think a third of Americans will will want to hitch their hitch their wagon to Trump's horse, hmm. um, and then fall off the cliff with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they uh, then have to start getting used to saying, uh, "I guess we were wrong," and until and until That's they tough. say that, That's uh, tough thing I'm, to I'm say. still gonna. Yeah, it's it's tough to hear coming out of uh, the mouth of of a late day Trump supporter. Yeah, but we'll see. I think I think what it hinges on really is um, not just the 2018 midterms, but in terms of you know the literal end of the Trump administration. Yeah, if that were to happen, uh, but also. Just about what actually took place, what Bob Mueller actually finds. Right. The other thing the prosecutors but, do. Well, I mean, as long as as long as we trust Bob Mueller, which is right, well, and we may trust Bob Mueller, I but know, does I the thirty-seven do. percent trust? I know Bob I do. <laughs> but yes, yeah, yeah. That's that's what it comes down to. Thanks for listening to this episode of In Conversation. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to comment on anything I said, you can tweet me at Yasser Batalvi. And for anything I said, tweet me at Christian Pause. If you'd like to engage with the show, find us on Twitter at InConversation underscore. Thanks for listening. <laughs>